0: to everyone wherever you are in the world, and welcome to our podcast, Pitside Experts, which constitutes myself, Ian Bishop, Freddie Wilde, Tom Moody, and we'll be discussing various aspects of the game of cricket. And I just want to say first off that I sympathize with everyone around the world at a time like this, and I know that discussing sports may seem trivial. At this point in time where people are losing their lives, loved ones uh, have perished by the hundreds and thousands around the world. But I also understand and we also as a group understand the need for people to escape escapism, to to find some entertainment and instruction and information somewhere as a distraction, maybe from all the ills going across our society. So we've come together as a trio um, and of course. Uh, just to introduce Tom Moody, a former Australian international player, two-time World Cup winner. Uh, also a fantastic coach who started his coaching career in 2001 with Worcestershire in the English County Championships. Uh, joined Sri Lanka for a couple of years uh, in the mid-2000s, 2005 to 2007. Also instrumental, uh, and Tom won't mind me sort of giving him glowing praise as one of the initial coaches in the IPL from 2008 with Kings XI Punjab and a championship winner with Sunrisers Hyderabad, a runners-up position there as well. And Tom's coaching expertise has stretched around the world to various leagues, the BPL with the Rangpur Riders in 2017. Uh, he has also been the director of cricket out here in the Caribbean, uh, of the CPL tournament, which has been glitzy. It's been glamorous, and it's been fantastic entertainment. So there's more that I can say about Tom. Fantastic personality as well. Uh, Freddie, of course, Freddie Wilde, has been the man behind CritViz as an analyst with teams and broadcasters, uh, with the Renegades in the BBL semifinalists and champions, Rajasthan Royals in the IPL. Also, both Tom and Freddie worked for the oval invincibles as consultants uh freddie i don't know how much more glowing praise you've worked with andrew mcdonald who's coached australia with sky sports fox sports icc as a tv analyst and and the cricketing pedigree runs across freddie's family as well as writers and stuff so welcome tom welcome freddie um, just, just some opening thoughts as to Tom, how you see our podcast going?
1: Yeah, thanks, Bish, and uh, I just echo uh, your thoughts with regards to everyone out there that's uh, having to deal with this, you know, current crisis that uh, that is touching all of us around the world. Um, but before I do touch on the podcast, what about you, Mister Ian Bishop? <laughs> six, foot, six foot seven frightening fast bowler from trinidad i had to deal with bish in the mid to late 80s first time i never forget this and i still wake up at night in a cold sweat when mr ian bishop is a young frightening fast bowler bowling against western australia when the west indies toured australia it was a tour game before the first test and oh my god It was frightening. And, yes, you may be blushing, Bish, but I don't care because you're currently in Trinidad. I'm in Perth, so I'm a long way away. You can't bowl (laughs) me a bouncer from there. But, yeah, look, a a decorated career, obviously, uh, for Bish, and he's turned himself into um, one of the world's, if not the world's, leading broadcasters. And And the interesting thing about Bish having worked with him uh he sort of holds a unique position as a broadcaster because he's someone that can step in and out of all the roles that are involved in broadcasting that is presenting uh being a special special comments uh person as well and all the other presentation type roles which aren't easy you you, you know there's not too many bishes there that are putting their hands up saying look I'm happy to do the presentation or yeah I'm happy to sort of lead the opener but uh Uh, A sensational uh, cricketing career both on and off the field and and a ripping bloke to boot. But on to the podcast. Yeah, look, I'm really excited about this because having been involved with the game uh, for for so long in many different roles, uh, I love talking about the game and I love learning about the game. And I I always feel that... uh, if you're not sharing your thoughts uh, with other like-minded people, like the the two other friends I I have on this podcast, uh, you, you're not going to continue to learn. So I certainly hope over our journey through this podcast, not only today's one, but as we uh, unfold in the in the weeks ahead, that uh, it's going to be a learning experience for me, and uh, I certainly hope that is going to be a, a, an opportunity for all our listeners to just to get a bit of insight. From a coach's perspective uh, on things, and obviously from a an analyst's point of view, where they come from and their their views on the game, and certain individuals, and also Bish's very well-rounded view on the game. So that's how I stand, Freddie. What about you?
2: Yeah. Well, firstly, I'm you know going through those introductions. and very honoured to be to be on this podcast alongside you two guys. Um, but, you know, yeah, I echo all of the sentiments that you guys, you know, you guys said. And, and, and I think what, what what should be really fun about this podcast that, that you alluded to, their moods, is we're going to have, you know, the three of us coming from some quite different perspectives. Obviously, both of you guys have played at professional level, um, been in commentary boxes, coach. Uh, and I've worked alongside some teams, As you know, as you said, from an analyst perspective. So I think those three um, different views of the game um, should provoke some some really interesting discussion. And And whilst I think we'd all prefer to be watching... Live cricket um, from around the world. Hopefully, our weekly podcast can, can give cricket fans around the world a little bit of insights and entertainment through these coming weeks and months.
0: Right. Freddie, before before you try to cut yourself short there, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, your family connections with writing and the game, because you, I, I said you're a writer, you have made a great contribution to the world of T20 cricket with Cricket 2.0. Um, so, tell us a little bit about those connections.
2: Sure, sure. Well, yeah, cricket's always been, it's been in my family. My my dad um has been a cricket journalist. Uh, he was first at The Times and then the Sunday Times. And um, he's written a number of books on cricket. So um, when I was growing up, cricket was was all around me. Um, and for, for many years I wanted to to play as as many young kids do. And unlike you two who obviously went on to make it, I, I didn't quite um but I still had a you know a massive passion for cricket. Um, and during, during my time at university, I started writing sort of on a freelance basis and became more and more interested in, in the T20 game in particular, which led me to work for CripViz, the, the data analyst company, and obviously now work alongside a number of teams. Um, and, and yeah, writing Cricket 2.0 was, was one of the things that I, I wanted to do. And myself and Tim Wigmore have written, I suppose, just a short history of the T20 game. And um, yeah, so that, that, there's a bit of background um, to myself as well after you 2 Legends.
0: All right, thanks for that, and I can recommend Cricket 2.0. Let me tell you, it's a fascinating read, and I learned so much from reading that. Anyway, for this podcast, we're going to stay along that theme, I think, of of T20 Cricket, but as our listeners tune in to us, we're going to try to produce a podcast every week on varying topics, and you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, all of those platforms uh, where we are going to be launching Uh, these podcasts every week. So getting straight into it. 17 years of the evolution of T20 cricket, 12 IPL seasons, and it's ironic, Tom and, and Freddie and our listeners, that We're broaching T20 cricket because it was just, what, over four years ago last week or this week that the West Indies won their second World T20 Championships in magnificent style, defending champions. We are due and supposed to have another version or edition of the T20 World Cup in Australia later this year. Fingers crossed the world is settled back into some sort of normality by then, and we can have this tournament coming off. Um, what do what what do you guys make of the rise of T Twenty cricket? Because I love it, I really do love it, and I enjoy it.
1: Yeah, look, absolutely. You know, I, I certainly love it. I've uh, more more by coincidence fallen into the the various roles um, around the world in T Twenty cricket, and that was not by design. It's just by um, the fact that I was one of the inaugural coaches in the IPL and it sort of grew from there, uh, as did the game at T20 Cricket. And the, the thing about, the most important thing in my opinion about the game in uh, with T20 Cricket is that what it has done is it's, it's filled the gap that cricket was desperately needing to fill and that is a, a, a result-based uh, game that fitted within a three-hour period. If you look at all the other sports around the world that cricket's competing with, they're nearly done in three hours. And so cricket had to come up with something that suited, you know, modern society. Society has changed. People are time poor. People don't have the time as they used to have to enjoy the journey of a test match. Yes, they'll watch it in different ways or listen to it in different ways than what they did 20 30 40 50 years ago but you know times are different and and the the generations that are coming through and have come through their their demands for uh, immediate um, success or immediate fix and Freddie's probably better suited to talking about this because he's that generation
2: yeah. they're
1: wanting they're wanting results here and now Freddie
2: well, yeah, and it, it's, it's funny you say that because, you know, I very much have sort of grown up with, with T20. When when the first match was played in 2003, I was seven years old um, and I've sort of gone through my education uh, and, and alongside friends whilst T20 is becoming more popular. And, and in England in particular, which is obviously where it started, I very much noticed um you know, more and more people of my age group taking an interest in cricket, but specifically in T20. So cricket in England is and around in a lot of places around the world, it, you know, faces some issues in terms of popularity. But the one that it always comes back to is T20, because as Mood said, um, it, it fits that perfect you know, slot in the evening um, of, of entertainment every night. And I think one of the other really big things about that and the IPL did this perfectly um, was have one game at a time so you know you could build up a narrative you'd tune in every night you'd watch Mumbai Chennai and then the next night you'd watch another game and at the weekend there'd be a double header but you were able to follow each team and the different narratives as they went up and down across the season and I think that really helped um, cricket sort of build a, a sense of drama across you know
0: four to six weeks. And just a little bit of history on T20 cricket I mean we had the first what I suppose we talk about organized games of T20 cricket, Freddie, as you pointed out, in England in 2003. Um, That was picked up in the Caribbean uh, by Alan Stanford. Um, In 2006, we started the Stanford T20 tournament here in the Caribbean, and and that was great. There was the now defunct ICL tournament as well, I think a year later. And then in 2008, we had the beginning of the IPL as well. And I can share um, and empathize with those people who sit around their televisions at a prearranged time every night during a tournament in the Caribbean. Here, Tom's been a big part of it. Um, The carnival-like atmosphere, um, the entertainment, the athleticism that it brings, the CPL brings, for example. um, People base their lives around it. I, I don't know, per se, how it impacts the longer forms of the game. But you can have a T20 cricket after a storm, a rainstorm here in the Caribbean, and people still come out because they generally love it. Did we see T20 cricket reaching where it is now, as I I spoke about the beginnings of each tournament that that we mentioned? Did we see this becoming as big as it is when we first got involved?
1: Well, I personally didn't see it no um, I liked the idea of it um, there's no question that the concept I was I had a very very open mind um, and from a coaching perspective I was very excited about that because it it challenged you from a coaching perspective to to innovate to learn how to to change the way that you approach the game, you know, who would have ever thought six overs power play like really six overs? How are we going to, you know, how are we going to manage that? Who are we going to use in those overs? You know, are we going to go all out and try to hit sixes and fours? What's the focus? Do we do we make sure we're just getting run a ball? Where there's no dot balls. You know, do we make sure we have left right hand combinations? All those types of things um, Hmm. became very important, let alone the bowling side. Who would have ever thought the best bowlers in power play are spinners? Right. You know, I I remember in the early parts, um, early stages of of the IPL, everyone, there was a groundswell of, of cricket traditionalists was saying it's the death of spin bowling. But... It's been absolutely the contrary to that. It's been they've been the heroes of the game, along with our power hitters. So there's been so many um, surprises uh, that has captured, I think, the imagination of of the spectators. It's it's had to capture the imagination of the players and the coaches and the analysts because if you're not ahead of the curve, if you're not thinking you know, what is the next best approach to trying to get the jump on your opponent? Well, I'm sorry, you're not winning many games.
2: And, and just just to jump in on, on, on the original question in terms of did, did I see it becoming as, as popular as it has been? I you know, agree with the moods. I, I didn't. But it, it, in many ways, the concept made sense, didn't it? As, as we alluded to, the sort of evening entertainment idea, it was perfect. And in those early years, in 2003 to 2008, before the IPL, when really everyone but India played it at a domestic level and more and more pe- teams picked it up internationally, you could tell it was an amazing product. And all it took, really, was the 2008 and the beginning of the IPL with the owners coming in with big money. And then suddenly, on that, obviously that famous night where McCullum scored 158, suddenly you sat there and thought, hang on, hang on, th- this could be, could be really big. And, and those six weeks, um, you know, I think you know, it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say that the inaugural season changed cricket forever. Because I think everyone sat there and thought, wow, th- th- this is what the game can, can be. And, and look at where, you know, 12 years on from that, um, the sport is, is barely recognizable from, from what it was before that.
0: And, and Freddie, some of your numbers in, were illuminating to me. 2003 to 2007, that five year gap, 754 matches, 150 games per year. From eight to 2013, when the IPL started in 2008. A six-year gap, 3,254 matches, 542 games a year, and from 2014 to nineteen, an average of 769 games a year. So, I mean, that certainly says to me, guys, that this is as much about entertainment, marketability, but it's also from a player's perspective a fantastic career to have spending, I suppose for many guys, less time away from home, less hours on the field for a former fast bowler like myself, less of, <laughs> <laughs> less of a workload in terms of volume of overs to be bowled in a day's play and getting a remuneration that is multiple times what many players would have gotten 15, 20 years ago, per se. So um, all of those reasons combined are uh, why I think T20 cricket is brilliant. In, a, in addition to Tom, when I look as a, as a broadcaster now and I watch a T20 game, I'm working on it. The chess game that is played, left-right combinations, the set plays, the matchups. I find it fascinating. Um, I could never be a coach, let me just say that, because I'd be taking my work home with me every night and I'd be consumed by how do I get the best out of my team for the next game. I just don't know how coaches do it.
1: Yeah, well, neither do I half the time, Bish. (laughs) (laughs) But I think think that, uh, you know, with regards to that, um it's it's no different from a player as well because you know that there's a lot of players that struggle to let go of either good or indifferent performances on any given day. And I think the the, the, the skill for a lot of players and a lot of coaches or people that are involved in in, uh, in sport in many different um, at many different levels is, being able to, to turn the page as quickly as possible, but not turn it to the point where you haven't taken away some very good learnings from that experience, whether they be good or bad, because generally that's, you know, where your growth comes is through the, the learning of, of uh, disappointment as much as success.
2: Is it different moods? Obviously, in, in T20 leagues, the, the matches come so thick and fast that, you know, in a way, it sort of forces players to get back on the horse and go again. You know, if you, keep, if you keep struggling with the bat. You know, the good thing is it's only probably one, you know, a travel day and then you play again the next day. So that sort of reflection on performances is, is a bit different in the T20 world.
1: Yeah, it is. Tournament cricket is very different, whether it's a, an IPL or a Big Bash or... A Bangladesh Premier League or a CPL, whatever it is, you you from a coaching and management uh, perspective need to keep the environment as positive and as uh, and as uh, uh, energetic as you possibly can. Um, it's a little bit different if you're coaching a national team or a state team or a county team, where you've got the the players on an annual basis you're, you're building a completely different team environment we're in tournament cricket which is where we're talking now you need to make sure that you're you're picking people up as quick as you possibly can you're actually picking them up before they hit the ground um and and protecting confidence and also cr- constantly trying to create the best uh, team environment you know we, we hear the word culture Used a lot in sport and business, and and creating um, a culture in a in a national side or a state side or a county side is a longer process and longer journey. But in franchise cricket, you still got the same challenge, but you're you're doing it you're doing it in a very small window. You know, most tournaments go from uh, six weeks to up to where the IPL goes up to you know nearly nine nine weeks, isn't it?
0: I mean that 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 to me is is fascinating, and and I want to build off of that mood because Freddie is intricately involved in changing him and his companies, in changing the way T Twenty cricket has played, or or that's probably incorrect, the evolution of T Twenty cricket from a statistical point of view, right? The the reason I feel West Indies, for example, have gravitated to what T20 cricket is. When I think back to what I've read, because I wasn't alive back in the late 1920s, some that might surprise some people. Uh, when you read um, CLR James and when he talked about his early introductions to the game, looking out of his window at home and looking at a gentleman called Matthew Bondman way back in time and describing the square drive down on the knees, the square cuts that he played. When we read about George Headley, uh, Larry Constantine, and what Larry Constantine provided in the Lancashire Leagues and across the international stage of an athletic all a brilliant feeling. I think someone wrote 29 catches in, in test matches, and all of them phenomenal athleticism, uh, Clifford Roach. And then we move to Greenwich and Haynes and Lloyd, and, go, and we, we ended up with Carlos Brathwaite in the final over, sorry Freddie, of that 2016 final at Eden Gardens. 19 to get, and he finished the game with two balls to spare, four sixes. West Indians have gravitated to this format of the game simply because culturally, the way that we've lived in the Caribbean, very outdoor life, similar to Australia. Um, A hardworking, physically demanding people who love to smash the ball to the boundary, Um, whose fast bowling, for example, in the early days of formative cricket in the Caribbean was the thing that, let's say, the plantocracy demanded of the indigenous West Indians to bowl fast. And then we had the spinners coming in. So the athleticism has always been there. The power hitting has always been there. How has that already statistically impacted where the game is now presently compared to when it started. Well, it's, it's, firstly, there's one, one
2: broad point there, which is sort of the, you know, you talk there about the athleticism involved and, and the power and the sort of dynamism of the modern game. What, what's great about T20, I think what I absolutely love about it is that you can quite clearly split it into, and it's almost, there's two clear strands to it. There's the entertainment side of it, and that's the sort of power, the athleticism, the dynamism, and that's what attracts so many people to it and makes it such a popular sport and, and you know, has meant that, you know, the broadcasting rights have been sold for millions and that it's changed the face of the game. But then there's the other side of it, underneath it which is that you know where you allude to the sort of the numbers and the analysis and you, you referred to it there as sort of a game of chess you know and it's an amazing that a sport that can kind of can appeal sort of across so many different types of people, if you like, because it can be, you know, it can just be a, a fun evening's entertainment for many people. And I think, well, it is for whoever watches it. But at the same time, there is that really analytical element to it. Um, and you touched there on a couple of the key things. And, and I think your power, um, the power game, is, is one thing that T20 is, has massively influenced. I think um, I've dug out a few statistics. The number of balls per six hit um, in 2008 was 27 um, in 2018, it's now 20. So you can see there, just just in that simple 10-year gap, how the game is changing and it's evolving towards guys who can clear the ropes. Um, and then the other interesting point you, you touched on there was sort of the history of, of fast bowling in, in the West Indies. The West Indies have been a, a team who've now obviously won two T20 World Cups. And at the heart of that has been spin bowling. Um, yeah. Samuel Badry and Sunil Narayan are, are two of the, the sort of pioneers of, of that side of the game. Um, and we've seen, you know, the percentage of, of overs bowled by spinners, again, in that same 10-year period has gone from 32% to 38%. It's a massive increase, but it's on the rise. And and, and for me, they're the two, in terms of looking at the game on the pitch um, uh, in the last 10 years, the two massive changes has been the increased power um, of batsmen and then the rise of spin, which, as Mood said, no one really saw coming.
1: Yeah. Look, it's interesting, Just just referring to the, you know, the six-hitting, you know, from a coach's perspective, um, it's very interesting just seeing how that's changed, how players train and how they, how they want to train. And, um, you know, from the very first uh, early stages of practice in preparation for a game was pretty much mirrored to a 50-over game. It was more of a net for 20 minutes and that hit a few balls, uh, where they're looking for boundaries, but it wasn't that specific. Um, but where we have it today, it is totally different. Players will go in, and you will create the environment where their practice very much replicates their role in the side. So, if you've got an Andre Russell, for example, who is you know the best power hitter in the game at the moment, ninety um, percent of his batting is about hitting sixes. So expect to lose between 10 to 20 balls at a training session when Andre Russell is practicing what he's paid to do and that's to hit the ball out of the ground. Where that wouldn't have happened 15 years ago, he would have been told off by coaches around the world saying, go on, I've only got you know a dozen balls left here, you can't keep hitting them into next week you know and because the the actual approach was very naive to what was required to develop players and get them ready for the big stage
0: and but but that's to me why modes and and freddie and listeners that's why it sits so easily and so well with west indians um i remember during practice sessions when we went on tour when i was still actively involved in the game. We had a coach, Andy Roberts, the former Western Indies fast bowler. And every time there was a net session, if we went to the subcontinent, our players, whether it be Phil Simmons or whoever, would be smashing the ball out of the nets and out of the ground. And he would always be shouting and reminding us that these balls cost money and we were inclined to try to keep the ball within the playing facility, which never happened. For the very reasons that I go back to historically, West Indians enjoy hitting sixes. You think of Gale, you think of Pollard, you think of Dwayne Bravo, and that man you call there, Andre Russell. Those guys must have smiled once they came, became involved in the game to see that T20 cricket the basis of it has become boundary hitting or six hitting.
1: I'll, I'll just add a point there, Bish, from, a, from my perspective, is that what I've found very common is the technique of a batsman is still very, very relevant. Right. And I think that using Andre Russell as our current example he has only become as good as he's become mm-hmm. because I think his technical game has improved to allow him to be as consistent power hitter he is today. Andre Russell five years ago, I don't think, had as robust technique as what he's got now. Now, I'm not saying it's a technique that could withstand test cricket. It's far from that but it's a technique that allows him to to shut out little windows of the game, those little matchups that you bring on to nullify someone like him. It allows him to see through those choppy waters to be able to take full advantage of certain bowlers that he's identified as his targets, where previously he was undone during those little phases. So I think... The, 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 even though the, the game has increased with the number of sixes and, you know, your power hitters are, are very, very relevant, but I think equally as relevant in all the different batsmen that you have in your top six is their technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going to slightly change from, you know, player um, ba- player's background to, you know, to, to, to what they're capable of. Like an Andre Russell is a pure um power hitter but i still believe one of the best t20 players i've ever seen was mike hussey and mike hussey he he he, he just would give you a death with a thousand cuts not just... meaning the square cuts i'm meaning the way he went about masterminding, setting a total or chasing a total down and i'm just using him as one example there's many examples was another, another style of winning a game of cricket, which is what we're talking about.
2: What's really interesting there as well, and, and you know, is amazing that when T20 came around, people were critical of it in terms of um, like dismissing it as, as a bit of a, a game of, of hit and giggle, and you know it was for sloggers and all this kind of stuff, and it was generally demeaned um, by the wider media, and I think as a result it took a long time, a long time for the game to sort of step out of that shadow, and it began to change with the IPL because of the influx of cash. Um, and suddenly it became, uh, you know, so this was a serious business where you can earn a lot of money, which I think pushed the game along from an evolutionary standpoint. And it's interesting at the, at the top of the show, we mentioned the Stokes-Brathwaite um, game. And I think that the 2016 World Cup, in my mind at least, was the first World Cup that was really taken properly seriously by, by the media and, 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 and sort of by the wider public. And we've reached a point now where T20, having started as as a little bit of fun, um, has outgrown those sort of modest beginnings. Um, And there, you know, talking about Andre Russell, I don't think many people would think that the foundation of his success has been technique. But that's what Moods is saying. And that's really interesting in itself, because a game that, as I said, you know, originally people would have just thought, oh, you need to be a big guy. You need to clear the front leg and swing towards cow corner and, and you can you can earn a lot of money. There's so much more to it than that. And I think that we're seeing, you know, essentially a new sport unfolding in front of our eyes. And that's for me, from an analyst's perspective, that's what makes it so interesting is, is um, you know, test cricket and ODI cricket existed for many years. T20 has now come along and, and it has sort of earned the right to be treated as its own game. And it's creating new heroes playing in a completely new way and redefining things that have been done for hundreds of years. Um, and I think that that's that, you know, that, that's one of the things for me that really interests me about
0: the format. And, and- I just want to maybe throw something in there, Tom and and, and Freddie. I think each T20 World Cup that I've witnessed from the very start, there has been a transition, a transitional point where skills have been built upon from tournament to tournament. Um, I, I suppose my point about the West Indian ness. Because I'm West Indian, is did guys like Andre Russell, uh, Kyron Pollard, Dwayne Bravo, to a lesser extent, did they start with an advantage? Then Tom, because the technique has become refined, but the basis of that power that was there initially gave a little bit, a little bit of an advantage to be when it was finally built upon.
1: Oh, there's no question. Uh, just, you know, look at look at the size of uh Pollard Russell versus Ponting and Tendulkar you know <laughs> you know they they're twice the size so physically their their ability to power the ball through the field and over the field is um you know it, it it's so much uh, an of advantage to them uh, and i'm not saying they're anywhere close to the quality of the batsman that both Tandulka and Ponting is, using those two as an example, but the format, format allowed them to shine and become kings in that format um, because there was limited time for technique to be tested because of the limited number of balls that are played. And and the limited number overs that key bowlers would have, and that's the beauty of Test cricket. And I'm sure there's going to be a time that we're going to uh, unwind some uh, discussions around Test cricket uh, in our future podcasts. But um, so your your player that has got the power game is is skipping those little hotspots of the game that can really challenge you, whether it be technically or whether it be through intimidation of pace bowling where you can ride those small sort of humps and then just totally take advantage through your incredible you know brute power um from the other end or at the very next over
0: all right as we wind up and i'm I'm gonna throw the last thing to freddie there and, and contradict or ask Freddie a searching question. You talked about spin and you've got the numbers to back that up. And we'll explore all these topics in more depth as we have further podcasts. Fast bowling with those two West Indian wins, Freddie, I remind you Ravi Rampal in the first one, Andre Russell, and Dwayne Bravo, although he bowled a lot of cutters, were not as instrumental in those victories, but key backups from a fast-bowling point of view, to Narine and to Badri. So is it a case of a more rounded attack as we wind up?
2: Well, yeah, and, and the, the, that that topic of, of batting versus bowling and the relative importance of the two um, facets of the game, I'm sure is something we will talk about. And I know that with Moods in particular, the, the importance of bowling, you know, the importance bowling has played in, in the sides that he's uh... played.
0: Yes. <laughs> and, right, and,
2: and, <laughs> and, and, and I'm sure we'll get onto that in more detail in future episodes. But yeah, and, and it's something that we explore in, in the book as well is, is the, just the importance of bowling. Um, and it, it comes back to the, to the simple fact that a bowler, a Rashid Khan, you get 24 guaranteed balls from Rashid Khan or, or from Dwayne Bravo or Mitchell Stark or whoever it is. Um, you don't get 24 guaranteed balls from Chris Gale. He can face 60 sometimes. So on a good batting day, batting teams are extremely destructive. But bowling teams or teams that have strong bowling can be quite consistent because they can rely on the on those guys returning for four overs week in, week out. Um, and, and that's a theme that, again, when T20 cricket came along, people thought it would be a game of, of big hitters. Um, and, and, and whilst it is... Bowling has proved its importance, and I think that's one of the really interesting things, and it's a theme throughout T20, is actually quite often the conventional wisdom or sort of the, um, the assumptions that were made about the format, i.e. that spin bowlers might struggle or that it would be a batsman's game, have proven to be, to be wrong, and that's what's been so interesting. Not only has this been a very entertaining format, but it's been a really interesting and analytical format, and, and all these topics, I'm sure, as I said, we will explore in a lot more detail.
0: Yep, I agree with you, Freddie. Tom? Uh, Freddie, thank you very much uh, for all your insight. If our listeners have any questions, you can find our Twitter handles uh, quite easily uh, on social media as well. And we'll, as Freddie said, as Tom has alluded to, we'll get more in-depth with many more topics uh, over the coming weeks. Uh, And we stand with you in this very trying time globally, and we hope that we've provided at least momentary relief from the problems that are out there in society. Thanks, Freddie. Thank you very much, Tom, for your contributions.
1: Cheers, Bish. Thanks, all. Thanks, Bish.